every person, no matter where they are, can have an impact. Whether you are an engineer working in the the hardest environment, or a product manager working in the you know the most uh, profitable product, or you're working in a you know impact fund or anywhere, I think you can make an impact, especially in this world. Everybody has a voice. Uh, everybody has a talent that you can you can use for your good. Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Product. I am thrilled to have you joining us today for a exciting uh, episode. And I am joined by Prashanti Ravana Barapu, who is the Head of Product and Customer Experiences at PayPal. Um, since joining PayPal, Prashanti has progressed up the product leadership ranks and serves as a very strong champion for the customer, the culture, and the people in the organization, while always looking to advance PayPal's mission to democratize financial services. Today, we're going to hear a lot about why that's so important to her. Um, but in her current role, she is building a new function, establishing best practices across the enterprise and spearheading the build out of frameworks, processes, tools, and success measurement systems that will enable their products to create the best possible outcomes for customers and deliver targeted business outcomes. Over the years, she's incubated, built, and launched several products. And in addition to that, she's helped really transform the way that PayPal works. If you speak to people who know her and have worked with her at PayPal, they'll tell you that internally and externally, she's focused on helping everyone deepen customer empathy, uh, inspire innovation, and build great products. Some of the things that she's super proud of, and I would be too, is the program for Justice by Design. Uh, opportunity hacking, small business challenging, customer immersion workshops, product excellence. And we're going to dive into each one of those to understand a bit more about what they are. With that, I say welcome, Prashanti, to the show. Uh, where are you zooming in from? Thank you so much, Diyama, for having me on your show. Um, I've heard a few of your episodes, really great work. Thank you for sharing the information and highlighting people like me. I'm zooming in today from uh, the Silicon Valley, San Jose Bay area. And what is it like there today? Is it uh, is it warm? Is it cold? Uh, oftentimes, we've got that that uh, that what is it, Carl the fog that's there. <laughs> it's actually really bright and sunny, and and no wind chills or crazy cold too. Sometimes you know it can feel very weird the Bay Area weather. You, you walk out thinking, oh, it's so warm and nice, and then you have to. You'll be shivering without a jacket, but today it's great. I I hate to say it, but I understand that way too well living in London now and having lived in Seattle before. So I always hope to hear about sunny days. Um, okay, so let's jump in. I am so excited to have you here. I think we should talk really quickly about how you and I met, um, which was as part of Equity Army. And do you want to do a quick kind of just summary of what that is for anyone who's interested? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Equity Army is an, is an amazing initiative. Uh, started um, by Annie Jean Baptist, who runs or heads um, product inclusion at Google. Uh, and she's done a lot at Google, but she wanted to bring some of the same thinking to the whole world. 
and she started an equity army, which is a bunch of volunteers like Tiama, me, and others who join and uh, help shape how all industries and companies should think about product inclusion or inclusive design or justice by design, whatever the term might be. But how do we build inclusive products for all people in the world? I'm really excited for what Equity Army continues to do. Yeah, it's been a phenomenal experience and we won't we won't um, sell it too hard here, but definitely for those who are interested, we'll include a link to it in the show notes. Um, I think one thing that might be nice to start off with before we kind of jump into one of your passion areas, which is purposeful product management, is for anyone who's listening and says like, well, what is inclusive design? Um, you know, or why would someone do that? If you were trying to pitch it to, you know, your grandmother, what would you say is the the benefit of it and why to why to spend time understanding this discipline? Yeah. So I think, you know, inclusive design, product inclusion, like they're universal design. These are the different terms that are out there. Uh, they've become more and more important today because I think we are being we are trying to be more thoughtful and purposeful in how we are able to solve for all customers. If I were to describe it to my, you know, grandma who was born and raised in India and, and never left the country, it would be to help her understand that, you know, when we create anything, it shouldn't be um, excluded for people who look different from her or who act different or of a different gender or have a different skin color or because they follow a different religion or anything like that. And I would tell her, you know, grandma, the, if you use this, it means it would act and see uh, and look exactly the same, no matter who the person is. And that's really the crux of inclusive design, product inclusion and things like that. I feel like there's, I, I, I put another spin on it, but happy to dig deeper into it. But that's how I would explain it. And why do we think for people who say, okay, that sounds nice, but I don't quite understand why that's important from a business perspective. Why is that something that companies should be paying attention to? Yeah, I think for a few reasons, like in today's context, it is actually uh, very important because if you don't pay attention to it, there's going to be uh, customers who won't actually like it. Um, in like, you know, previously it, it could be considered as a way to think about innovation. Because if you think the world's uh, biggest segments come from really underserved segments, if you think about it. Uh, as an example, think about how many women are in the world. What if you create a product that didn't serve for women? Then you're leaving out more than half of the population of the world. Uh, what if you were uh, your products were not solving for people who were below a certain income threshold? then you're leaving a, leaving probably 2 billion people uh, out of uh, service. So it could also be seen as a way to actually get access to more customers. But today, the dimension and the, the discussion and the topic has changed. It's also because today you you're, have to solve for them. Otherwise, your customers will not be uh, respectful of your product, one. And going forward also, I see a lot of policy change coming our way and a lot of the powers, policies, regulations and all of that will also start mandating. And I would love for more companies to not wait for these mandates and actually start um, doing this work even before because it's the right thing to do. So the way I would say is uh, product inclusion or justice by design or concepts like these are important because it's the right thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. And it will also become the required thing to do. 
I love it. Well, let's see if you and I can't convince some of the people listening that this is something they should get the jump on. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So uh, I love that, you know, me asking you to explain it uh, like you would to your grandma, you went to actually starting to talk about your grandma. And I know that uh, I'd actually like to take a step back and go back to early days about, you know, before you were, you know, uh, a product leader at PayPal, where did your focus on purpose and driving uh, inclusion start? Uh, tell us how that's part of your own inherent journey. Yeah, like, so I was born and raised in India, like Southern part of India. And anybody growing up in India uh, and has an EQ or some empathy in them can't miss that, you know, seeing poverty around you is, 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 is eye-opening. Uh, you see poverty, you see the pain that comes along with it. But you also see the beauty, culture, and riches of the country too. So you have two extremes. You would have people eating in great restaurants, like really nice restaurants. But then you would have you would have these little kids peeking through the glass doors to just get a bite. Uh, you'll see towering mansions right next to slums. You can find the best schools in the world while, while there will be millions of kids who don't even get to go to school. And I've seen my fair, fair share of poverty and uh, what it takes away from people. I grew up in sports, which meant I trained a lot with with kids of all kinds. And a lot of the kids I trained with wouldn't even have a meal before practice. They would wake up at 5 a.m., you know, deliver newspapers, show up hungry to training, and they would train for four, you know, three, four hours. And they would walk away with very little to eat as well. And that always was, you know, stuck with me. And I paid attention to these kinds of troubles that people were facing. And throughout my life, I traveled quite a bit. And as I traveled, I didn't travel as a tourist. I traveled as a learner. I paid attention to, you know, people and what they were struggling with. I'm, I become hyper aware of these things. Like, so even if, you know, as a family or group of friends, we go to, let's say, um, Thailand, right? While everybody might be enjoying a meal, I can't but help observe the girls who are being, uh, you know, treated differently or the kids who are hungry or things like that. Uh, even even in the Bay Area, when I drive around, I can't help but see the homeless people or the more and more uh, tents that show up and things like that. That's the kind of you know sense of uh, uh, awareness that I've always had, and that awareness has created this like um, immense responsibility that I feel on my shoulders. That I feel like I have to do something, and no matter how much we do, it always feels like it's a drop in the ocean. There's always more. Um, I could have been that child who didn't have opportunities. I could have been that child who was born in a different household that didn't have uh, a chance to make make something of my life. And I don't want people to be uh, losing out on opportunities and kids to miss out on opportunities because they were born in, in a different household or on the wrong side of the street. I want everybody to have an opportunity just like I've had um, because the, the worst thing that I feel about or the thing that bothers me the most is dignity. Like if people are not treated with dignity, I struggle with that a lot. And growing up in India, I know that the people who don't look rich or people who have a different skin color or a different caste are often treated differently. And I think that's that's relevant everywhere else too. I would love to do all of the work that I can to make sure people are treated with respect. They have opportunity opportunities to make something of their life um, and and live a great life. And if that is not what I'm supposed to do, I don't know why I was even born. So I feel like that has been my purpose and that's been my guiding light throughout my life. 
it's it's really interesting for something because you know a lot of times when I speak with people who have uh, a lot of the same goals um, passions as you do you know, product isn't necessarily the the choice of a career, right? I mean, there's lots of ways to do social good. You can you can work in social work, you can work in law, you can work in health, uh, you can work in international organizations, charity. You know, how did you end up as a fintech, you know, product executive when you know this was what your passion was, and and where did that start to become clear to you that this was a way that you wanted to pursue that passion and make an impact in in life? Yeah, that's a great question because uh, I wish I'd said I had seen all of this in in the future, but that you know I think I happened into this career. Uh, I was going through life just like how I was taught. We were taught to make make uh, our careers really wonderful, uh, succeed in life, make a ton of money. And then as we going go towards retirement, give it all away, give back to the society, serve them and things like that. And I was just trying to do that. I was building a career. I came to the US to make more uh, of a financially successful life as well as a great career. Um, and I was, I was thinking I'll be on the trajectory to be a, a chief data officer of a company of a large company, and then I'll be able to give back a lot more. Uh, but then that wasn't always enough for me. I always started doing things on the side, like I would support an orphanage or I would fundraise or I would do volunteering and things like that on the side. But, but like I said, I, the sense of responsibility always made it feel like it wasn't enough. Um, and in 2011, I had this unique opportunity to be on a leadership program, at the end of which I had a choice. Um, to create a career. And I had an opportunity to create a career path that could be something that was merging both my professional and personal missions or continue on the trajectory I already was. It, it was a hard thing to figure out, but I had a lot of great mentors and, and uh, leaders who asked a lot of wonderful questions and supported me in helping me merge the two. Uh, and it wasn't easy, right? I had to do a lot of self-reflection uh, I had to do a lot of reading. I, I also traveled quite a bit to understand what, what are people struggling with and what is that cause that I really care about? Because it's so easy for us to be, you know, working on, you know, simply feeding people or helping people get access to fishing nets or training people, uh, providing literacy. There's so many causes in the world and I just needed to figure out what is it that speaks to me. So there were a few resources that really helped me in addition to just meeting people and learning what their pain points were in the world. I read this book called Abundance um, that actually gives a little bit of a different perspective to the world. It actually shows how the world has abundant resources if used right can enable you know, tremendous impact, impact. I also read this book called Business Model You where it helps us think about us as the business, us as the product as the individuals and map out what our strengths are, what our interests are and things like that. And based on that, I started building out this model, this Venn diagram that I often talked about where I started thinking about, well, what are my strengths? What are, what are my passions, which is, you know, the problems that I care about solving. And the third one is what are these problems that are actually going to uh, drive tremendous impact in the world? And maybe I can make a career out of it. I was always a problem solver. I was always solving problems. I never called myself a product manager. I was a problem solver. But then as I started thinking about it and I started pitching about problems that I wanted to solve, 
there you know there was this particular um uh, mentor of mine who challenged me and said uh, why not product management uh, are you afraid to be a product manager i was like that, so that challenged me and i started paying more attention to it and i then i realized well pro- the best product managers are problem solvers and they solve problems at scale uh, so that's how i ended up you know into product management and there was a product leader who took a chance on me and said come on join my team as a product manager and that's when i started my role as a product manager and I haven't looked back so now i feel like any problem i look at i look at it as if it's a product uh, problem i look at it as if i'm a product manager that's really been my <laughs> journey into product management i'm chuckling because i think anyone who works in product knows how true what you just said is it's like a very pervasive we we go into every aspect of our life thinking about okay you know what's the what's the core problem that we're solving what's the value that we're delivering here how's this going to work you know scale <laughs> so i i really empathize and identify with that um Thank you for sharing a bit about that journey. One of the things we'll definitely do in the show notes is share access to both the business model you and the abundance book, um, because I think this is something that is very, very practical for people finding purpose. You know, one thing I want to double click a little bit on uh, is you saying, you know, as you were looking at potential careers and ways to kind of put your passion and your caring into the world. Um you you chose to not take some of those paths that maybe would have been other options and i i want to dig into one thing that i think i heard you say which was like you just weren't going to get paid enough for that and i think if i heard that right that's so important for people to hear because oftentimes i have heard so many people say well i'd like to do more good um but i just can't afford to be a social worker right i can't afford to live on you know xyz uh, salary and so what i think you represent and it's probably quite inspiring to many people is that you can have a career in which you get paid fairly and you're able to make a very positive impact on the world Yeah. Uh, what what would you say to people who maybe make the incorrect assumption that they have to to work in the corporate world you kind of have to slough off the doing good aspect yeah actually there are several myths there that i would love to uh, you know bust the first one i you know maybe talked about is you know income or pay uh, while it might be true that you know in going into the nonprofit sector or impact industry uh you might not be paid right i don't think that's a true statement always there are some really great uh nonprofits or impact companies that actually do really well in in pay as well so i think the key is to find out what causes you care about or what is important for you and if you're able to make a living but for some people money is not everything too so i also want to encourage that too for me it wasn't also the money for me what what you know i tried i looked outside and saw if, you know i wanted to work at a nonprofit for me why i didn't go the nonprofit route was a couple of reasons for me scale was important uh and to get to scale you need access to resources broadly you know having access to like a thousand engineers it's much is much easier at a large corporation or a tech company rather than being on a on a nonprofit or some nonprofits uh the other thing was like i talked about was the scale of impact i don't necessarily need to see the the individual people and making an impact to i don't need to see their photos or talk to them and feel good about it i don't need that validation uh 
What I do need to uh, feel good about is that I made it, I've touched the lives of a million people or a billion people. That's more important to me. So thinking about that scale, I chose this path. But to, to, you know, to kind of talk about what you said too, I actually believe that every person, no matter where they are, can have an impact. Whether you're an engineer working in the, the hardest environment or a product manager working in the, you know, in the most uh, profitable product, or you're working in an you know, impact fund or anywhere, I think you can make an impact, especially in this world. Everybody has a voice. Uh, everybody has a talent that you can, you can use for your good. For example, um, you can pick the kind of problems you want to care about. You know, just as an example, right? I'm sure this is an important problem for somebody. Um, let's say people struggle with getting gas filled in their, in their cars. Well, you know, there, there was a startup that was bringing gas to your parking lot to fill your gas while you're working. I'm sure that's an important problem. Uh, it's actually an important problem for myself too. I hate filling gas. So I already appreciated, always appreciated that company. But then you can choose to say, do you want to go work for a company that's solving for that problem? Or do you want to go work for an, another company that's solving for healthcare through tech or education through tech uh, or through access to financial services to tech or um, giving people access to credit, even though they might not be credit worthy through tech? There are so many problems that we can look at. So I would encourage everybody to say, you know, how can your skills be applied to a problem that might be important for you? And look at companies who will actually pay you well too. So I think there's an intersection of that. I, I, wrote, I, I really love this concept of Ikigai, which is a Japanese concept. Uh, you, should, you should look it up. It actually takes my Venn diagram to another level. So it took, looks at your strengths your uh, passion or areas of interest or the problems you care about, uh, gaps in the industry or the, your own company. And then the fourth uh, angle or the fourth when that they add to it is, will you get paid for it? So finding a, a role where you're able to leverage your strengths, work on problems that you care about a lot, uh, and that problem is really important for your company, your boss, or the industry itself, and you get paid for it, is the best possible outcome that you can arrive then I think, you know, you'll find your purposeful life that is also fulfilling. I, I really love how, you know, one of the things when you and I were speaking about the, the show and what we wanted to discuss and share with people was how many people create a story in their head, but they don't actually deliver on that purpose when they go into product management. And that there is some tips and ways that you can really try to ensure that you do enable impact through your product. What would you say to someone who's listening and saying, maybe saying it to themselves and not wanting to say outside, like, hey, I tell myself a story about why I do this product. And I tell myself that I make a positive impact, but sometimes I doubt that, right? Or sometimes I question that. Uh, what would you say to that person? Yeah, I think as, as product managers, data is your best friend, whether it's qualitative or quantitative data. Right. And then the second thing that's going to be really helpful is your time for self-reflection. It's very easy for all of us to get caught up in our own stories that we build for ourselves or the stories that those around us will tell us, because nobody wants to feel bad about themselves. Right. As a human being, we always want to feel good that we've done something good. But what is important for you is first actually get the data on in front of you to assess whether what you're doing is really impactful or not. 
And impact can mean so many things, right? Um, impact can be helping somebody being able to save more money. That way they can avoid a uh, uh, financial disaster in the future. Helping somebody could be teaching uh, a young child how to code. It can be anything, but I think, again, going back to reflection, you have to reflect on what impact you want to deliver, uh, what impact is possible through your products. Um, and as you build your products, is the impact that you're hoping for coming through? And that you can look at both qualitative and quantitative data. So let us let me take an example. Um, you know, like I, uh, let's say you, you're writing a blog. Like, let's keep it very generic. Like, let's not talk about the product itself. Let's say you're keeping, you're writing a blog and the goal of writing the blog is to help more people understand uh, how to succeed as a woman in the tech industry. It can be as simple as that. Now, you can uh, take time to think about why you're writing that blog. Is the blog a measure of, uh, as a measure of validation for yourself? Is it a way for you to truly give back to, to women and help their careers? If so, then start making sure you're right. You're meeting these people you want to serve, understanding what is really getting in their way. Add your voice and perspective and start writing your blogs accordingly. And as you go, go through with it, make sure you're checking in with yourself and the, and the women you're trying to write for or your customers in this case, if the blogs you're writing are actually making a difference for them. If they're not making a difference for them, then you have to rethink whether you want to do this or, or be honest to yourself. Maybe you just want to do it because you want to be considered as a thought leader in the space. And that's okay too. But the most important thing is for you to continuously focus on your customer, uh, identify what impact you're, having to, you're wanting to drive for them, making sure you're checking in with them to see if you, that impact is being delivered before you continue. Those are, I think, some tips that you can use. And that's what I bring to my, my role. I'm always making sure I'm learning about my customers, making sure uh, I'm learning whether my products are actually solving for the customers or not. Uh, if they're not, what can I do to improve the product so, so that I am able to solve for it? Um, and the most important thing that I'll also say at the end is also ensure you look at potential harm you might be causing with your products. Uh, and that is important too. And that's impact too, by the way. You could be working on the least impactful product in, in or social impact product. Um, but if you take care that your product is actually not causing harm, that is good enough as well. Like if you if you read this book, Indestructible by Ni Rayal, he talks a lot about that. You know, he wrote an original book called Hooked, where he talks about the hooked model and how product managers and builders can build products that are very uh uh you know addictive, addictive. yeah, yeah. but yeah very addictive but you want customers to hook uh to the product that's great and that's what we're trying to do with growth hacking and all our product management skills but at some point the same products can end up in a negative spiral right you know like we all complain about how much our kids are on gaming or on technology or on their iphone that's an example right so even as a product manager if you can ensure that your products are being used in a healthy manner and are not creating harm, that's impact as well. So there's several things you can do as a product manager, manager to ensure you're being impactful. Hope that's helpful, Diyama. Oh, I think it will be. I, I absolutely do. I think I'd love to switch now to kind of some of the problem spaces that you've worked in. So one of the really interesting ones is a space like poverty, right? 
And one of the things you and I spoke about when, when first kind of brainstorming about the narrative was, you know, you said being in a problem space like poverty, you need to be in poverty, right? It's not enough to just talk to a few customers. You have to experience poverty. You know, how, how have you tried to really bring that ethos? I mean, you can give us a few examples of like what you've done and what you've trained your teams to do to experience versus uh, study, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll start off by saying that I used to believe that everybody should understand poverty because I grew up around, you know, seeing people in poverty and all of that. Uh, But as I'm raising my own kids in the US, I understand now and I learn now that it's not as easy, no matter how much we try to teach our kids, for example, that they need to be grateful for everything that they have. And I'm often telling my kids, you know, don't throw away that food because there are millions of kids who don't even have access to that food. They hear it, but they can't empathize it because no matter how much I try, unless they live in that environment, they might not fully empathize it. So the next best thing I can do is to make sure that we are walking in the shoes of our customers, but by first removing our own. By that, what I mean is we can experience the pain points that people are experiencing even though we might not be poor ourselves. And the way I've done it is a few different um, ways. Uh, The first is making sure my teams, me included, we all spend time in the homes of people who we are trying to solve. You know, we've been trying to look at, let's say, financially underserved customers, but for them, we need to to understand their pain points. We have to be in their neighborhood. We can't have them come into our uh, offices and talk to them because you're missing the whole picture. So I'm always in their homes, uh, observing their neighborhoods, understanding how they live uh, and empathizing by listening to them, but also seeing what they what they do. For example, if somebody says, here is how I go about my day, I try and retrace those steps and try to do a lot of the things that they've done. Um, you know, uh, and let's say they say, uh, I got this check, but I went to this, you know, local Um, store that I'm trying to cash my check at. And here is how, what I've experienced. I try to do that myself. That way, even though you cannot completely understand everything that they go through, you gain your empathy by making sure you understand it as much as possible. The other thing I also do, which a lot of people also do, is actually try to uh, create that environment where you are forced to do certain things. So I used to run this thing called Financial Exclusion uh, Immersion Workshop, where I would get groups of uh, teammates or employees or whoever and send them off into neighborhoods with a $50 check, personal check. I would give them a you know, $50 personal check. I would give them an envelope or a few of, of a few things in it. And they actually don't know what's in it. All they would do is you know, pull out. They have to go first, cash the check. And to cash the check and knowing that they don't have their wallets um, and they don't have a bank account, they're now forced into neighborhoods and stores where they have to pay a hefty fee to get the check cashed. Then they get into the envelope and take their first task. And the first task might tell them to go make a bill payment. Now they've got to figure out, well, how do I pay, pay a bill? I don't have a credit card. I didn't have a debit card. All I have is this 45 bucks cash in my hand. So how do I pay now? And it forces them to figure out how would they pay that bill? So they're trying to look for kiosks. They're trying to um, buy a prepaid card in the US and things like that to make that bill payment. And I put the pressure saying, if you don't make the bill payment in two hours, your water service is going to be disconnected. 
then they might pick another task. And then they, in that task, they might have to send money home to take care of mom uh, who lives in you know, India or Mexico or somewhere else. So then they're trying to figure out how do I send a remittance? Uh, then I, I give various tasks like that. And one of the tasks is uh, now you're down to the last $3. Uh, spend the $3 in, in buying groceries to feed a family of five for the day. And that itself is eye-opening because when people go into these grocery stores and all they have is $3, the kind of products that they never looked at is what they're looking at. They're looking at the, the uh, you know, potentially not so healthy options. They're probably looking at just either things, simple things like ramen or uh, beans uh, or canned stuff and things like that. And they come back, they do make a meal, but they don't feel good about it. So after all of that, they come back with you know, frustration, empathy, anger, uh, and attitude to want to do something for these people. Uh, but they also have the relief that after a few hours, they, can, they get to go back uh, to their you know, lives. But what I try and talk at the end in debrief is that's great, but these people cannot get out of the life unless there are other options that we can provide. So how do you leverage that empathy and channel that into innovative ideas is what, what I try to do by making sure we truly empathize with what customers are going through or what people are going through. And I think the same thing can be applied in any role you're on, whether it's poverty or health or you know, racial inequity or, or uh, uh, inequities against um, uh, other kinds of people. You cannot build or think about solutioning unless you experience some of it yourself as much as possible or empathize with the problems that these customers might face as much as possible. I, I was thinking, you know, one of the things that you've done at PayPal was the program on Opportunity Hack, and I'd love you to speak about it. It, uh, it, it really came home to me actually the other day when I was learning a bit more about a company called Promise Pay um, or Promise, who's also in the Bay Area. And they, you know, I was listening to um, a podcast where uh, the founder was speaking about one of the really early observations uh, that she had, where as she was trying to speak with companies like some of these um, kind of modern payment platforms and explain the way that she was going to need those payment APIs to work, things like, hey, we're going to need you know, the balance of somebody's pay uh, to notify them in the morning, right? And they're like, oh, well, no, you know, it works in the evening. Um, why would you need someone in the morning? And, you know, her point was, well, you know, if they don't get a notice that they're, they've gotten money into their uh, account until the end of the day, the money's going to be gone. Yeah. And they, they really couldn't understand the world where on payday, all of your money leaves your account because you have to pay bills and you live you know, paycheck to paycheck. And it was a very poignant moment for her to understand, even when she's building a payment platform that's designed to, you know, leverage modern payment technology infrastructure, she was going to have to be really careful about, you know, the companies and the technologies that she worked with and the government players that she worked with. Um, so I know Opportunity Hack was about connecting technologists to nonprofits and agencies to solve problems and create empathy. Maybe, you know, I, I couldn't help but think, I was like, oh, Promise could have used Opportunity Hack. I mean, where, where do you see your guys' impact through a program like that? Yeah, so Opportunity Hack, uh, I founded in 2013, but it was really based on this thought that 
how can I plant more seeds of good in people? Because not everybody is motivated to go work in a soup kitchen or not everybody can work in a soup kitchen and feel, um, feel okay. Because, you know, it, it is bothersome when you see uh, extreme pain that other people might have, might have. Not everybody has the resilience to be able to deal with it. Uh, so I needed to figure out a way where more people can do good, but also in the best way possible by giving their skills. Because let's say if you want, let's say the CEO of a large incorporation, go work for an hour in a soup kitchen, that's fine. But is that the best use of uh, that person's time? Of course, if that gives a lot of uh, happiness and joy to that person, they should absolutely do it. But if they're not, then the better way to do uh, leverage them is to actually leverage their skill. So based on these kinds of problems that I was noticing, uh, I also started paying attention to hackathons. And what I also noticed there was people would come into hackathons and work over the weekend, work, come up with like great ideas, build the concept. And a lot of them would be catching dust uh, by, by after the weekend. So I was trying to connect all of these dots. And I said, OK, what if we started bringing actually real world problems to these um, skilled individuals, engineers, product managers, designers? That way, they're working on problems that actually matter and not something that's going to catch dust after the weekend. And if they're actually delivering this to uh, an organization that needs it, then of course, that will be live and they, again, it won't catch dust. Um, and in the, it, during the process, they'll also learn about the problems that these nonprofits are facing and so on. So what happens is then maybe the engineers will get uh, associated to the nonprofit. Maybe they'll get attached to the cause and they go on to do other things. Or at the minimum, maybe they walk away back to their day job feeling good that they've helped somebody and they'll always remember that the learnings they've had from these nonprofits. So the impact could be anywhere from an individual walking away, feeling empowered and wanting to do better and good in their life to large teams of people doing big things for nonprofits too. So with that concept, we started bringing in nonprofits into the hackathons along with skilled you know, engineers in the Bay Area. We tested it out in 2013 um, as a concept, and the concept really worked uh, because we saw at least you know, a few teams deliver value to the nonprofits. Nonprofits figured out a way that, oh, this is actually interesting. We don't need to hire all of our engineers ourselves. Can we, can we start uh, leveraging skills-based volunteers? That, you know, that was a concept, too, that started taking off. Um, and from there, the hack really continued to grow I probably ran it for a few years, but then as we ran, we had more and more teams pick up. There would be teams in different locations across the world that would have their local opportunity hacks, bringing in local nonprofits and local teams coming in. And the goodness that came out of it was, you know, in participants were delivering a lot of value for nonprofits. There were teams who were organizing the hackathons that were getting uh, exposure to nonprofits, getting involved with them. Uh, also getting exposure as leadership uh, uh, to leadership and becoming leaders themselves. They were becoming community uh, builders. And it grew to a point where now it's actually spun off as a nonprofit. Uh, Opportunity Hack runs as an independent uh, a nonprofit um, out of uh, Scottsdale run by Greg Vanoni. Uh, now, of course, we've also had challenges, right? Which product doesn't have challenges? It was hard to have fully built solutions for every team. And we've continued to optimize how to actually increase the number of teams that would deliver value to the nonprofits. But I think if you forget opportunity hack out, 
I think the opportunity for promise, um, no pun intended, is actually they can take this concept and open source the problem. Generally, open source a solution. What if you open source the problem, uh, invited you know uh, interested participants to come in and hack it for promise? I think you can turn it around and do that as well. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of opportunity for organizations like Promise to leverage the collective skills and wisdom of the community to help them accelerate their work. And in that, they might get access to companies who will deliver the APIs that they need. But you know, behind every company, there's an engineer. And each of these engineers have skills that they can help uh, Promise as well. I love it. And it's a nice segue into uh, you've held a, a number of roles since being at PayPal. But I thought one thing we could do is talk about what your current mission is, right? So you're the head of product and customer experiences and you're building out a new function. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you're doing and um, you know why you chose to take this role on uh, and you know what you're looking for? Maybe you're hiring. Uh, you know, just give us a bit of a plug for what what the current focus is. Yeah, absolutely. So in my current role, I'm responsible for customer experiences across PayPal. What it means is my job is to really make sure that our teams are being customer centric and building customer centric holistic products. And to do so, uh, we have to do a few things, right? We have to uh, we uh, have to make sure we are helping people understand what does it mean to be customer centric. Uh, it just doesn't mean that you know you speak to a couple of customers on the phone and you're customer centric. It's not that. It's way deeper than that. Uh, we we I have been running and we continue to build the product center of excellence, where all product managers are continuously learning about how, you know better frameworks, better processes, better ways of working finding focus time, what does it mean to be a product leader, uh, bringing industry best practices and connecting them to resources and all of that as well. But in addition, you know, my job is also to make sure to identify opportunities for impact for our customers. Now, up until you know, last year, I was really focused on financial wellness of customers. Uh, and, and that's still my mission, and I'll continue to do that. But then what was also helpful is I wanted to look at the breadth of customers too to help all customers, not just the ones who are looking for financial services. So this role allows me to do that. And my team um, is really called enab product enablement. So while we are product managers, we are enabling other teams to do better work is how I would say it. And yes, we are looking for product managers. Uh, currently, we're looking for a couple of product managers um, out of East Coast or Midwest and as well as in India as well. How, how do you guys more kind of just tactically for anyone who's, you know, curious about how to have kind of the functional excellence team that is responsible for supporting more vertically across other teams? Uh, how do you guys, how do you guys do that? How do you partner with those other teams to help enable them? Like what's been some of the things that have worked, but have there been things that haven't worked? Yeah. So, so my, my teams, like I indicated is, we have vertical responsibilities. We have you know, a couple of uh, product responsibilities that we have to go deep and build and solve. But we have more of the horizontal responsibility too. And our horizontal responsibility is really to serve. And, and the way I think about it and the way I talk to my team and the way my team operates is we are there to serve our customers, uh, our company, the teams, uh, and the, finally, my 
our own team, and then ourselves. That's the sequence of priority for us. And with that, what we are there to do is we are there to pull up our sleeves and help any team that is tackling a problem. Uh, if a particular team is working on, on a big initiative and they need additional help, we are there right there next to them, pulling up our sleeves and helping them uh, get access to, let's say, customer research or insights or help them uh, discover more or do more product discovery by adding capacity to them. Uh, and if they need engineering capacity, we are there right there to help them solve it. Um, but our job is to help make sure that these teams are successful in solving for their customers. And when we come with that attitude, uh, even though in the beginning, some teams might say, might, might wonder, you know, hey, what are you doing here? Uh, because of the way we approach, mostly teams will end up, uh, you know, welcoming us and working with us and partnering with us. So I think for me, what has always worked is to make sure we go with an attitude of service. And, and product managers, like we all often think, right? Product managers are really servant leaders and the best servant leaders really thrive as product managers and product leaders. And that's really what, what helps. What does not help is if you're always looking for, you know, personal success or, it, you know, me over the team, me over the customer, that is never going to go far because if you are there to just do the work and take, take credit for it, you lose trust of your teams, of any team that you want to work with. So I think selflessness and being in service of your customer and your partner teams is the way you can build a successful career if you have to work in breadth and not depth. Fantastic answer and an inspiring one as well. Okay, so we have gotten to that part of the show where I get to ask my favorite question. And the question is, if there was a museum dedicated to the world's most important products, what product do you think should be in the museum and why? Yeah, great question. So the way I I think about it, and I think Professor Muhammad Yunus uh, once said that he would love to see poverty in, in a museum. Uh, because generally museums host things that are either extinct or not as common. So for me, um, if I apply that lens of I would love to see things in a museum that I wouldn't want to see in life anymore, that would be... Um, a museum for financial services that are because why is it so hard for everybody to get access to financial services like they want? Why is it accessible to only some people? So what I would love to see is that everybody has access to financial services, just like we have access to, let's say, air or water. Of course, water is still a challenge in some parts of the country, the globe, but I want it to be accessible to everybody so much so that we think about financial services as this thing that was needed or, and it existed like decades ago and that, that the only way you can experience it is in a museum. Like in London, uh, I forget the name of the museum, Tiama, but there's this museum uh, in London that has this whole space and a big room full of stuff around money, right? They have, uh, the museum is full of like coins, old coins, you know, older cash, uh, different methods of payments and uh, all of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Royal Mint uh, Museum, I think. Oh, Is that yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't remember the museum, but I enjoyed it so much. I actually went back a couple of times there. But we have those things in museum because they don't no longer exist. That's what I would want because that means everybody is financially successful in this world. They have access to opportunities that they care about because they will have access to everything that they needed. That would be the first one. 
the second product i would product that i would love to see is like really a category any product that excludes anybody should be in a museum right we should be not having any products that are uh, excluded which means we have, we have product inclusion justice by design like all of that in every product that's built and everybody feels like they are they have equity uh, as well as just products serving them and they belong to them uh and the third one is even more philosophical right i would love for any practices of product management that are not customer centric are or are not based in deeply in empathy or do not drive social impact to also be uh in in museums that that would be my answer where people kids kids 100 years from now would come in and say Oh wow this was how products were built products were built even without customer <laughs> empathy products were built that were exclusive and not inclusive oh man we don't want to be like that so as i think that would be how i i would love to see i think that exhi- exhibition will help us convince people uh as we were talking about in the beginning about why it's worth doing this now versus waiting for regulation to require it so um With that, it's a lovely place to wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your journey. It's been really inspiring, and I just can't wait to see you keep driving impact both at PayPal, but much, much broader than that. Thank you so much for having me, Tiama, and thank you for bringing a lot of our voices and enabling impact. Right, you're inspiring a lot of people to think things out of the boxes that they might be used to. So I'm thankful for your impact as well. <laughs> Together we will achieve. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product. <laughs>